As we begin our study in the book of Genesis, I want to remind you of something. We had a choice to make as we looked at Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we went through this long series of the creation account. And as the creator of something, you have the right to call it what you want to call it to define how it gets used, to define what it is. And so we can either choose to believe that and trust God, or we can make up our own rules as we go. And so tonight, as we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 2, the ending uh, is really coming upon us fairly quickly here. But chapter 2, here as we draw to verse 18 down through 25, we find... God, for the first time, says something is not good. He finally says, in the context of the way I've created this universe, this planet, these animals, and this man, and because we made it really clear that in order for love to have any meaning whatsoever... For it to be real and genuine, it must be volitional. And so Adam is created with volition. He has free will. He can choose to love God. He can choose not to love God. And as he's given that free will, he is also given the opportunity to govern his own life. He can do whatever he wants with it. He can interact with the animals. He can interact with the creation. He can do whatever he wants. God has placed no restrictions on Adam whatsoever and how he can function in this world that was created for him. He's given dominion over it. He's now going to be tasked with naming the animals and having a a relationship, in essence, with them, a close relationship. But for the first time, in verse 18... God says something is not good. He's declared the entire creation good, so it doesn't mean that the creation itself isn't good. doesn't mean that Adam is good, but there is a situation that is brought about by Adam's free will that, that is going to be, in essence, an area where Adam is going to need some help. Because whether we like to acknowledge it or not, God has what you and I would describe as both male and female characteristics. And while male and female characteristics, someone might cry misogynist, someone might say sexism, it's very clear that generally speaking, women and men are a little bit different. Can I get an amen? We are wired a little differently. It doesn't mean better or worse doesn't mean good and bad. It doesn't mean superior and inferior. It just simply means different. God himself possesses all of the characteristics, generally speaking, of men and women. He's compassionate and tender and kind and gentle, but he's also powerful. He's also provisional. He has things that we would define as more male characteristics, and he has those things which are generally believed to be more feminine. You, you don't want to leave your kids when they're infants, infants, generally speaking, with the husband. Why? Because we're experiential. We're tactile. We would teach them how not to play with fire by putting them in the fire. 
you ladies think of compassion and tender and gentleness and nurturing, and you're like, that's dangerous. You make that decision beforehand. Us guys want to test to see if it is dangerous. You see, God has the capacity to have all of these things simultaneously. So he's created Adam as a man. We know that he is going to create a woman, and we're now going to find out that she is a helper comparable. And we're going to look at the institution of marriage because it is in this chapter that God not only presides over the first one, in essence, in making this comparable helpmate, but he institutes marriage itself. And he gives us the reason for it. And so, would you pray with me? And we'll pick up in verse 18 here in Genesis 2. Father, we thank you for your great wisdom, uh, your incredible plan, what you saw in Adam and giving him free will and understanding uh, that if he were left to his own demise, he would be incomplete. And so, Lord, we thank you for the completion that you've designed into your creation and that you have given us marriage, Lord, that you have made helpers, one for another, that are comparable. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak to us through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, we can actually choose to believe God's definition, or we can make up our own definition about mankind and the role of marriage in our world. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. No truer statement than that one if you've ever been to a bachelor pad. It is not good. And it doesn't mean that some men aren't domestic. It doesn't mean that some guys aren't neat freaks. I happen to be one of those. I actually kind of sort of, I know this is freakish, but I actually kind of enjoy doing housework. It's completely mindless. No one will lose their salvation over it, so it's, it's, it's good. I enjoy doing those kinds of things. I don't even mind dusting. I like to even fold the socks. But that's not a normal guy, just saying. Most guys, not so much. It's not good that a man should be alone, and I will make a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And so Adam's going to get engaged very closely in the creation. He, he's going to live in it. Remember, there are a couple things that do not exist yet. There are no pests. There are no carnivores. There is no death. There is no suffering. There is no dying. And so every animal at this point in time is not only not dangerous to other animals, it's not dangerous to Adam. And so he's in an environment to where he's like the original Dr. Doodle. Um, he's going to be able to walk and talk with the animals and do things that you and I only dream about. I don't know how many of you, you know, you watch Chronicles of Narnia and you want to, you know, you want to hug Aslan. And I, that, I'm one of those people. I watch eagles fly through the air and I go, I would love to be able to do that. I, I, that's just the way I'm wired. But Adam actually had that opportunity. He got to interact with the creation before it was polluted and is the way it is today and before animals began to eat other animals, before man began to kill animals and eat them, before all of that happened, Adam was directly involved uh, in actually naming them. And we're not told all the details. We just simply know that God said, so we can choose to believe it 
Or we can make up our own story about what happened initially in the creation. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So if you don't like platypus or whatever, that you can talk to Adam when you get there. Now, we don't, we don't know how many of those names actually transitioned after the flood, but God gives Adam volition. He gives him opportunity. He gives him choice. He gives him things to do. He gives him industrious ways to live out his life and things that matter because God has created us that way. God's created us to have purpose and meaning, to do things that count. And, and so God is actually going to honor what Adam calls these creatures. And so Adam gave names to all cattle. And the word that's used there, though we translated cattle, is really domesticatable animals. And so things that, that Adam would have, you know, normally had around his little compound there in the garden, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. He's pretty much given the creation a, a once-over, and he's going to be able to, to call it what he wants to call it. And I love this about God, because God could have just said, Adam, this is what it is. But he didn't. God has given us this, this world and all things in it richly to enjoy, his word says. And so he has us with the ability to interact with his creation. He, he didn't just simply place us in it and go, okay, now deal with it. He gave Adam the, the original ability to actually have a part in it, not just to be the, tender, the, the caretaker of it, but to actually interact and, and to be uh, at one, if you will. So he was kind of like the original echo-creationist kind of guy. He, and I'm sure he enjoyed it. So Adam gave the names to all the cattle, birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so Adam notices a deficiency. God certainly knew that that, that uncreated part of the creation was certainly a reality but adam now becomes aware because he is given this parade of animals this parade of animals it's like mr and mrs giraffe as he names them because you have to remember that the whole of creation was given a a command be fruitful and multiply and so i think it was very clear that adam had an understanding that it took two of them to make any more of them And, and so he's looking he's going okay there's two elephants and two giraffes and two lions and two tigers and two bears. And wait a second. There's one of me. I'm the only one of one. And so it became very clear that that command that was given by God to all the animals, to creation itself, be fruitful and multiply, Adam could do nothing about and so the Lord caused a, a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And this is one of those passages that, you know, if you talk to your average secular humanist evolutionist, they're going to go, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Again, I remind you, we either believe what God said or we don't believe what God said. And if you believe God can do miracles, then God just can simply do miracles, things we cannot understand and cannot explain. He is not under any obligation to explain everything that he's ever done. And so this is one of those places to where we look at it and we go, well, you know, how did he create Adam and Eve and then why did he do Eve one way and Adam another way? You can ask him when he get there. Caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs 
The word ribs here is not a good translation. I will tell you that straight up. The original language, the actual word means side. It's translated almost every single time you see this word side, but for some reason, uh, the word rib has stuck there, and some of it is simply tradition, and I do not know uh, why most translations in modern English don't just simply translate it out of his slide. And he closed up the flesh in its place. And when the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, and with it, he made it into woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. It's a little play on words in the Hebrew. It's ish and isha. And so it, it literally one and, and the same. But obviously different. And, and we know that as humankind. As mankind, we're all called mankind. But there are female mankind and male mankind. So in that sense, God's kind of given us a little a little history lesson here about what he did. He's not telling us why he did it specifically, but he's saying there is a man and there is a woman, and they are exactly the same in one way, and they are completely different in another. Which physiologically, men and women are almost exactly the same. There are a few exceptions. We're very different, but we are humans. And so therefore... Now, I want you to notice this. So God creates a comparable helper, and we're going to dig into all this tonight because it's very important to understand it in the original context and meaning of the original language. And so God does this, and then he says, therefore. He says, I've made a creation. I've given Adam dominion over it. I've put him in direct contact with that creation, I've told him to steward it, to be the overseer of that creation. I've told the creation, I've told Adam in his earshot to be fruitful and multiply. I've then created a helper comparable to him, and he said, in light of that, because that's what the word therefore means, in light of all that I've previously done, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God institutes marriage. And he defines it. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so we have the, the institution of marriage in this, in this chapter. The end of the six days of creation, God said that everything was, was good. He, he's gone so far as to say it's very good. But as the last act of creation, he creates woman. And he says here, look, in essence, Adam is incomplete. Not that Adam is a failure, not that Adam is bad, but his loneliness is not a good thing because I've given him free will. And you give a man free will and too much time on his hands, and I can tell you what will happen. Still to this day, God certainly knew that. And so the not good here means that Adam needs Eve to be complete. And I can tell you after 41 years of being married to Connie, I need Connie to be complete. I am not a whole person without her. I was created for her. She was created for me. 
And I do not even function well when she's not around. God made her specifically for the exact express purpose here. You see, that lack of completeness is because man in and of himself might be good at a number, a range of things. He could have learned compassion. He could have learned tenderness. He could have learned nurturing. And he did, will and do. And very often us guys are given that instruction by our wives. You know, you want to go out and make sure that there's food on the table. Men will put up with an awful lot of things and go through an awful lot of heartache and headache for a very long period of time to make sure that that happens. You want to, you want to have a provider, generally, that's something that men are good at. There are women that are good at it as well. But in a very general sense, but in a universal sense, man and woman need each other and they fill in the gaps of each other's lives. I like to explain it this way. Probably most of you have seen those broken heart pendants. And there's one half and it's all jagged. There's the other half and it's all jagged. and They're not complete until they're slid together. The gaps are filled in. The deficiencies are, are made whole. Those things which are unique are still unique and wonderful. And those things which are deficient are now uplifted by someone else's wonderful giftings. It really appears to be the primary purpose of marriage. The primary purpose of marriage is companionship, friendship, completion. While the sexual relationship is certainly part of it, and it's mentioned here, and we'll highlight that at the end. It was completion. Adam was not complete in and of himself. He was going to wander around probably talking to himself, which if you do that now, you end up in an institution somewhere with people looking at you very funny. Man needed a helpmate, a completion. And I want to give you a couple of words here, and it's our day and time, we have two basic schools of thought with regard to how the church views the male-female relationship. We as Calvary Chapel are complementarians. That means that we recognize the uniquenesses of both genders, that both genders are unique, that both genders need each other, that both genders are equal, co-equal. They are not one above the other, but we also recognize that God created roles within the way he completed his creation. And so he has given an order to that creation, and we believe that that is the way we should conduct ourselves while we're on this earth. The other one is egalitarianism. And egalitarianism basically leaves such an equality that the man takes the woman's roles, the woman takes the man's roles, and none of it matters. I want to be really clear here. I believe that the Bible teaches complementarianism, that we all have dignity, we all have value, we are all are to be valued exactly the same, but there is a difference between men and women. And that difference was designed by God It's not a social construct. 
It isn't something that mankind came up with. God's the one that created in the beginning them, male and female, and he expresses that uniqueness here in the book of Genesis. He makes it very clear that men are not women and women are not men. So he makes a helper comparable to man. He's going to personally form Eve for Adam. And while some would say this screams of sexism, some would say that this is, well, I, I, that's just misogynist. We, we, we can't have that. God has been very clear with his word, and he is the one that defines what a marriage relationship is supposed to look like. And so we're going to take his word on it. And so when you look at this, Dogs are not supposed to be man's best friend. Woman is supposed to be man's best friend and vice versa. The husband-wife wife relationship was designed by God and it was made to complete Adam. And in doing so, also the completion for Eve. There are things in her life that she would need help with and so Adam becomes that one who helps. First thing that you see in this passage is the relationship of man to animals. And I want to talk about this because the prevailing worldview is you and I are nothing more than highly evolved animals. Matter of fact, your ancestor is more than likely some ape, which we're going to talk about that in a moment. Very clear your Bible disagrees with that. That not only was man created unique, woman was created unique, and, and given very specific roles within society. When you look at the animal kingdom, it's interesting that while there are some species of animals that do hang around with each other in essence and mate for life, that is very, 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 very rare. Vast majority, in the high 90 percentiles, most animals could not care less whether they have a mate or not. And generally, if they do mate, they don't mate for life. And while they not only don't mate for life, they also don't normally express a completion-type relationship. Very often, uh, both animals do exactly the same tasks. And so man was made unique. And so here comes this parade of animals and Adam's looking over them and, and he's noticing that there's a male and a female for each one of them. And, and he basically is saying, hey, I, I don't have a mate. How's this going to work out for me? And none of them could provide that type of fellowship. And people always ask, well, you know, did the animal stalk? I don't know. We can ask God when we get there. I, I don't know whether they could. We, we're going to find out that at least one snake in the garden could do something that was called communication because he's going to say something to Eve. So whether they all could or could not, that's speculation on our part. But we know this. They had something that Adam looked at and said, hmm, I, I don't know how this works out for me. So where did Eve come from? Widespread belief that we evolved from some ape-like ancestor. And this chapter, above all, puts to rest that once and for all if you're a Christian. Because it doesn't say that 
Eve popped up out of the family tree of Australopithecus afarensis, which is the common belief that we have from the field of paleontology. Probably most of you have heard the story of Lucy, may have even seen an exhibit or one of the various displays that you see periodically in National Geographic, a pile of bones that were found in the Old Divide Gorge in Kenya. Um, gathering all kinds of bones together has now been proven not only that Lucy was a farce and a hoax, but contains the bones of not just one or two, but at least three and possibly as many as five different animals. And two of them are believed to be species of baboons. And so this proof that man came from apes is not only not proof, uh, it absolutely has been proven to be false. The Bible teaches that God created Adam and then from Adam he created Eve. Unique, special creations, moral free agents, unlike the animals. The animals do not have that same moral free agency. They can do whatever they want, but they do it without feelings. They do it without ramifications. There's no evidence of sin. They don't understand those things. That is given specifically to man. So the missing links from Darwin's day are still missing links today. And so the explanation that man somehow evolved roughly 3.2 million years ago, talking to a paleontologist someplace on the African continent, and from there uh, we all became who we are, means that we went from monkey to man. Your Bible says that we have never been anything other than man, and we will continue to be only man for so long as we sojourn on this earth. So much so is that true that uh, the one largely responsible for promoting uh, this fossil known as Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis, it's the technical name for it, uh, Dr. Lewis Leakey, his son, Dr. Richard Leakey, has actually walked back most of his father's findings to the point to where he has now said that he believes that Lucy's skeleton was nothing other than some form of ape. So that makes us very unique, and it makes us so that man still does not know beyond what the Bible says where man came from. We cannot explain it unless you just simply take as fact what the Bible clearly says about how we got here. And so what does the Bible actually say? It says that we are flesh of his flesh, that we are one as God has made us that one, that we were created unique. We have the largest cranial capacity for the body weight of any animal on earth. Yes, some whales have roughly the same size brain, but they're also 50 tons. It's a little larger than me. Sometimes I kind of feel like I weigh 50 tons. But we are unique. Yes, it's true that dolphins have a relatively large brain. But you don't see any dolphins walking around, talking, and creating things like cell phones. You don't see them with advanced forms of communication. Can they communicate? Yes. But in a very, very, the average baby communicates better with giggles than dolphins do with all of their massive brain power. We were created unique. 
For Adam was formed first, and then Eve is the plain testimony of the New Testament. Jesus himself is going to repeat this very command when he talks about marriage. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians there in chapter 11, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. The original creation is defined there. He basically, Paul is saying, look, Eve was created out of Adam. Now, you may not like that. You may choose to say, well, you know, I just scientifically can't see how God can do that. Well, I can pretty much tell you there's a lot of things that scientifically we won't figure out. Because nobody was there when God did it. He's only done it once. And with regard to the creation, he destroyed the evidence in the flood of Noah. So I I think we're going to have a little tough time putting the pieces all the way in a linear, linear arrangement to try and figure it out. And so the history of the record is this. Adam was created. God created Eve from Adam for the very purpose of completing him in a social way. In essence, God knew what he was going to do. Uh, he was going to make the first city on earth. It was called Adam and Eveville. Little tiny town. Only had two people originally. And they would have some kids. In essence, they would become the first social construct of the entire world. They would be the first city, if you will. Very small city, very small town, but they would become the place where those first children would learn. They would become the first place that would need to be protected. They would be the first place where people would gather together for social activity. They would become the first town on the face of the earth. Their own little town, admittedly, but they would be, in essence, the first people group, if you will, up to this point, Adam was alone. And now he's not just responsible for himself, and Eve's not just responsible for herself, but they are responsible together for their offspring. Remember, they've been created in this environment, and they were naked, and the two should become one. And when that happens, uh, you're going to have children. And so it would not be very long before the first children came along in Adam and Eve's life. And interestingly enough, when you look at how children are born and then look at the period of infancy and childhood, we as human beings have the longest period of infancy and childhood of any, quote, animal on the face of the earth, if you want to look at it that way. Our children are completely helpless, absolutely and totally helpless for at least the first year very often well into the second year. They're generally incapable of fending for them. You take a bird after three months, they're kicked out of the nest, they're on their own. You look at puppies, yeah, a few months, same thing. Animal, cattle, horses, all the bovine species, maybe a year. But human children are dependent on companionship for a very long time. Matter of fact, in our society, it's pretty common for children to stick around for a couple of decades at least, amen? (laughs) Sometimes longer than that. (laughs) And again, that's not meant to be a critical thing. That's just simply saying we were developed by God to be social and to be interactive one with another. And to have great need. 
In other words, God created us for fellowship, even within our own families. God ordained home. He ordained mutual love. He ordained companionship. He ordained friendship. He ordained ordained love. He ordained respect. He put all those things into the original design of the very first family unit. The authority of the father in the home, the mom in the home, from that would become patriarchal society. From that would become tribal systems. From that, more elaborate forms of government. That's exactly how the world's come to where it is today. And in fact, if you travel to countries that are less developed, if you were to go to Papua New Guinea, uh, you would find uh, exactly what was going on probably before the flood. Small family units that are basically a town in and of themselves. A handful of families functioning exactly this way. Wired into us by God. Fundamental activity of the, of the parents was to teach the children. Boy, do we need to bring that one back, amen? We've kind of handed that duty off, and, and sometimes we, it's not worked out too well. Little heads up, parents, it is your responsibility, it is your privilege to raise your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. It's not only what your Bible says, that's their best course for success. It's not society's job to raise our children. It's our job as parents to raise our children. They were given to us to steward. In essence, we don't own them. They're on loan from God. But God made the family unit the place that that's supposed to happen. The church would stem out of this. You have Adam and you have Eve. Also a picture of the church. And a couple other things you might notice here. One day the bridegroom is coming back and he's going to be presented with his bride. Amen? God's given us a picture of that throughout his, his entirety of his, of his creation. In other words, Eve was custom built for Adam and Adam custom built for Eve. It's the way God sees marriage. And the two of them... The two of them make that family. They were heterosexual and they were monogamous. Two very clear things in the beginning. God said, I I want you, therefore, man will leave his father and mother and woman leave her home. The two shall be joined together and they shall be one flesh. God's purpose in that. And so he tells them that. And again, the word rib or ribs is, is really a, a poor translation. The actual word is side, translated there 35 times, the word side in the Old Testament. It's only translated one time rib. So probably ought to leave it side. But rib gets the point across if you look at it in the, in the proper way. So having completed this presentation of animals, here, here comes Adam, and he, he's now going to go into a deep sleep. And we don't know what God did to perform this mar- marvelous uh, act of surgery. But we do know this. And here's the interesting thing about it. And this is where science kind of intersects with the Bible here. Within every one of your cells is a DNA molecule. Amen? That DNA molecule is the handbook for the entirety of you. It's that simple. 
So any cell in your body has the ability to replicate the entirety of you. And so as God takes this pre-existing material known as Adam, and he molds it and shapes it, he makes a few alterations to it. Have you ever asked yourself why there aren't a whole lot of asexual animals? Asexual means without sex. In other words, if evolution was true, can you imagine how long it took for one animal to evolve? Imagine that you have to have another animal evolve with completely different sexual organs. You ever tried to figure that one out? This is what pastors do late at night. They think of these things. It's like, how did that work out? If evolution is true, you would think there would just be one and it would be able to replicate itself. It would have saved time, effort, energy, all those things necessary for it to be a better design. But God didn't create animal life to be non-dependent but interdependent. And he didn't create mankind to be non-dependent but interdependent. And so he creates these two purposely to be one flesh. And so he takes out of man and makes Eve. People always, you know, what about the belly? You know, all the, the questions that we get. God can create belly buttons, okay? He's capable of doing that. So he takes one of the sides, and, and the side would mean both flesh and bone. And that's what's actually said here takes flesh and takes bone. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus reminds us that the, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Interesting that God tells us that he uses flesh and bone because it's the bone, specifically the bone marrow, that is where all of your red blood cells are produced. So he's actually giving us a little indication here that there's going to be similarities he's going to use the basic structure he's going to use what adam was in its totality but he's going to make eve different than adam physiologically uh, they're both flesh and bone but physiologically one's a man and one's a woman made by god that way and your blood carries all of the life basically blood carries everything that you could say if your blood stops flowing how long do you live anybody know the answer to that less than five minutes if your blood stops flowing, you bleed out you are dead in about five minutes you'll be brain dead first and then you'll be completely dead you'll be like in princess bride really dead there's dead and there's partially dead You'd be completely dead. Because that blood is life. You have to have it pumping through your veins, coursing through your veins. It transmits oxygen. It transmits essential nutrients. What your blood does is nothing short of amazing. And so God takes flesh, which is the pre-existing material. He takes bone, which is where your red blood cells are made, and he fabricates Eve. The life of the flesh is in the blood. It's exactly what we'll see in chapter 9. We see that in Leviticus chapter 17. And so God just simply says, this is how I'm going to do this. This is what I've done. The life of Adam, in essence, is taken and, and Eve is made out of that life. But she is unique. 
She not only had the same flesh, that is the body, she had the same life, that's the consciousness, that's the soul that we would call, but she's also going to have an eternal spirit, but it's not the eternal spirit of Adam. It's an eternal spirit that's breathed into her the same way that Adam got his, because it's an act of creation. Adam says, I'm going to breathe life into Eve. She's like him, but not exactly like him. God directly imparts that soul or that spirit to her. And so we find out that God created them back in chapter 1 in his own image, and he made them male, and he made them female. So when we try and do too much gender blending, we're really going against God's created design. When we try and make women men and men women, or when we try and neutralize the genders, we're really doing something that is against the original design that God made us under. And so sometimes people will ask, you know, well, is it really wrong? No, it's not inherently wrong. You know, I always, I, I married a tomboy. My wife, Connie, loves to hunt and fish and rock climb and all those kind of things. She likes to do a lot of things that guys like to do. But she's a 100% woman. I can tell you that emphatically. She also has that other feminine side. So it's not necessarily wrong to simply exhibit characteristics that might be assigned more generally speaking to a man or to a woman. It's okay for guys to be feeling. It's okay for guys to, you know, like to sew. There's nothing wrong with that. But he did create us male and female. And no amount of us telling God that he messed up is going to change the design of his creation. So when we try and do that, we are fighting against what God actually did. And one of the reasons, and, and I'm just going to be blunt here, one of the reasons that gay marriage will never work is it stands and flies in the face of the original design of creation. That's the principal reason it is not acceptable to God. Because in the beginning, he created the male and female. And therefore, for this reason, for the continuation of our species, and for companionship, for friendship, for the express purpose that God intended it, God is not okay with gay marriage. It doesn't mean that two people who are the same gender can't love one another. That obviously isn't true. But it is against the design to call it marriage. And so we don't have the right to tell God how he's going to define what it is that he did. God created and instituted marriage. He invents it. He he defines it. He presides over it. And so we can't change it. You know, it's interesting to me. For a number of years, I did a series of studies and kind of did some research. And all of the things that many of us believed would become issues the further we push down this road to what is now defined as marriage equality, we are now seeing come to pass. Because when you redefine marriage which is God's definition, a man and a woman for life, 
when you redefine it, you open the door for a lot of other things. Because if God doesn't give it the meaning, then it has to have a meaning which we define it by. And so what are we seeing coming up in our society now? We have people marrying inanimate objects, walls, cars, cats. We have them marrying dogs. We have people marrying ideas. We have people now marrying more than one person. You see, if we don't believe God's defini- definition of marriage, then I'm gonna I'm gonna play I'm gonna play the other side of the equation right now. Why is it wrong for someone to marry two people, three people, ten people, or twenty people? Because if God's definition doesn't stand, then it is whatever we think it ought to be. And so the reason that we are now having problems with things like polygamy polyamory that's well i just really love more than one person so i'm gonna you know kind of be in a relationship with two or three or five or ten people the reason we have no fault divorce the reason that marriage has been devalued is because we don't believe what god said and so it's extremely important that if you're a believer that you get your definition of marriage from what god says In the beginning, he created them man and woman. One man, one woman for life. God didn't invent promiscuity. God didn't invent adultery. He didn't invent concubines. He didn't invent gay marriage or any other distortion of his creation. Those things are all the doing of sin. And so until you get to that place to where you understand that and live that way, then pretty much everything's acceptable. And that is one of the reasons that the church has lost its voice on this subject in the world. Because we won't stand strong and say, you know what? God invented marriage. I'm going to take his definition and I'm going to stand on that. We need to stand strong. We need to promote what God has promoted as the only institution that he calls marriage. Adam says of the woman, now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She is called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the institution of marriage. The Hebrew word here for woman is actually isha, and for man it's ish. You, you see, earlier Adam was called Adam, Adam, dirt, earthy. But now he's going to be part of something greater than dirt, earthy. He is going to be ish to isha. They are going to be two, yet one. They are both in that sense ish, but woman, isha, and man, Ish, make a completion that did not previously exist. If Eve had not been created, the end of mankind's lineage would have been Adam. And because Adam sinned, death came into the world. So there would have been exactly one man without woman. No more would have existed. We don't know how old Adam would have gotten, but he'd have gotten really old and really lonely. 
And so God says, that's not good. Interesting that God throughout time has honored this. And most every culture on the face of the earth has the exact same understanding of of human male-female relationship. Almost without exception. You could nearly say it's 100%. There are a handful of very seriously pagan messed up people that believe that this is not true. But it's an extreme rarity. Of the 7 billion people on the planet right now, uh, almost all 7 billion of them believe that the ideal place for a a child to be raised is in a two-parent family with a mom and a dad. The smallest unit of society. That that marriage ought to be permanent, that it ought to be monogamous, just exactly as God has said. Preferred form of family life. And again, that's not to disrespect anyone who's done that incredible work of trying to raise a, a child as a single parent. And that's not to say anything against those who have been divorced and you're doing the best you can to raise children right now. You know the pain, exactly the pain that, that even divorce has. And God simply allowed divorce because of the hardness of men's heart. It wasn't his plan. It's not what he wants. It's what he allowed. There's only one passage in the entire Bible where God actually instructs the children of Israel alone because they had married into pagan families. In the book of Ezra, there's a single passage in Ezra 10 that God commands them to take these pagan brides that they'd taken from the Midianites and the Amorites because it was destroying the children of Israel. And he says, I want you to divorce them. It'd be better to be divorced than to continue to to die and to, to walk away from your relationship with God. But Jesus said in the beginning it was not so. Jesus actually quotes the original command when he talks about marriage as, as he puts forth his treatise on that in Matthew chapter 19. God's design, in other words, was so clear that Jesus says this in Matthew 19 verse 3. The Pharisees came to him and they were testing him. It says there in verse 3, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? That was the question he was given. He was just, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, she burned my toast. I mean, divorce her or kill her, one of the two, you know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that? You realize what he's saying there. Open up your Bible. Actually, it would have been a scroll then. But he was telling them, read the word. Have you not read that he who made them? What is Jesus saying about that? Have you not read? He's referring to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? What does Jesus say about marriage? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Those are the words of Jesus. Talking about what God did in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You get it? Jesus reiterates God's original command and God's original design 
And in doing so, and he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. Notice he didn't say, Moses commanded you to divorce your wives. He said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife. Why? But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery himself. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus is basically saying he so honors what God did in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. He says, look, that's what my father said. That's what my father did. That's what he wants. That is the way you're supposed to live your life. So when a Christian comes to you and says, well, you know, I, I think gay marriage is okay. They disagree with Jesus. They're flying in the face of God's word to us about what he did in the beginning. That's not an option for us. We don't get to pick and choose what we think is right. And, and so this view on marriage is in exactly the same vein as, okay, so you don't believe God's view on marriage, but you do believe that you're saved by grace through faith. So which part of the Bible do you not believe? Which pieces do you want to take out and say, well, I don't really believe that? Here you have in Matthew's Gospel the words of Jesus where he reiterates God's design for marriage. Jesus obviously regarded this whole thing as historical, not allegorical. He, was, he wasn't saying this is a suggestion. He's saying this is what my father did. It's not a law in a human sense. It's not a civil right in that sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? When people say, well, marriage is a civil right. No, it's not. Marriage is a construct of the Most High God. Marriage was designed by him. It's not a civil right. It wasn't invented by man. It was invented by God. And thereby, God's the only one that can change it. He's the only one that can alter it. He's the only one that could redefine it because he invented it. So when someone says everyone has the right to marriage, marry, not according to God. One man, one woman for life. Those are the only people that God has ever given the permission to marry. That's his take on it. I know that messes with people's minds. It causes them to think, well, you know, I, can't, I just can't go there. That's what God said. I take him at his word. I believe what he said. I'm going to continue to teach it until the day I die. No matter what other people may say, I'm going to stick with what God said. And whether you agree or disagree actually doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is what God said. And while it may be an offense to some, if I can't believe God's design for marriage, then why should I believe his design for salvation? Why should I believe his design for sanctification? Why should I believe his design for forgiveness? Why should I believe anything in the Bible if I can't believe what he did in designing Adam and Eve to be a married couple? So I choose to believe it all. I choose to believe 100% 
of the teachings of the Bible. Keep, huh? Keeps me out of trouble, I can tell you that. I get in trouble with people, but I'm okay with God. And then finally, it's actually God who invented sex. He made them male and female. He made male anatomy and female anatomy. And it says the two became one flesh. Interesting that that's exactly what the sexual union is, is two becoming one. It takes both, they become one, and that one engages in exactly the same type of creative concept that God himself did in the garden. He said, I'm going to give you a little picture of what it's like to be creative. And that creation is children. The marvelous creative capacity that's been instilled in each one of us as a man and as a woman, we have a part in seeing to it that God's command to be fruitful and multiply was made uh, a reality. God knows how to make that good too. And it is only in his definition of that that it's good. You see, man likes to redefine things. We, we like to take what God has said and kind of come up with our own concepts of it. Again, it's not up to us. He created the ideal family. He put them in the ideal environment. He made them perfectly. He joined them as completion, one with another. He puts them into a place and actually gives them the command to be fruitful and multiply. They're naked. They're completely unashamed of their nakedness. They're not wandering around, you know, man, I've got cellulite. can't believe look at this that is not what was going on in the garden of eden amen adam's eyeballs popping out of his head i think actually what he said was wow man he saw eve and he's like well this isn't going to be too hard God created marriage for that purpose. It's supposed to be wonderful and beautiful. And the only place that it remains wonderful and beautiful is in marriage. It's not wonderful and beautiful outside of marriage. It's dangerous and destructive. Oh, there may be some physical pleasure involved. But at the end, it just hurts. God knew what he was doing with his design. They had physiological differences that were created for the purpose of pleasure. Think about this for a second. And I don't want to be too extreme here. But Adam was made for Eve and Eve was made for Adam and they were made physiologically wonderful for each other. Opposites and unique. Don't you think God knew what he was doing? And if he said, for this reason, the two shall be joined together, I think we should listen to him. Because if you're joined together with someone outside of that particular mandate that God put down, there's going to be heartache that comes with it. 
It isn't going to be what the enemy tempts you with. It's going to produce pain. It's going to create problems. And we know that because there was no sense of shame, no sense of embarrassment. Completely natural. They were free with one another. They weren't wandering around. They were like, well, you know, I don't know if I meet your standard. There was no such thing. Why? Because within God's design, there was no shame. Or they weren't anxious. There was no guilt. There was no feelings of immorality. They weren't worrying, well, I hope we don't get pregnant. They were thinking exactly, I hope we do get pregnant. Matter of fact, I hope we get pregnant frequently and often. That's God's plan. You can't fulfill that plan any other way than in marriage. It's not possible. Not the way God designed it. And so, from God's design, Adam and Eve reach others' completion. Amen? Why don't you stand? We'll pray together. I'm going to bring the worship team back out. Need prayer after service? We're going to have some pastors up front. Have a short time of prayer. Trust God on this, family. Don't give in. Be kind, please. You know, people are struggling with the definition of what a family is. People are struggling with what a definition of marriage is. And we have the answer. We need to stand on the answer. Make sure that we don't deceive people. Don't feed them the things that they think they want to hear because it won't help them in the end. It will hurt them. Tell them the truth in love. Father, thank you for your design. Lord, I thank you for my completion, my amazing bride, Connie, and God, so grateful for you seeing all of my weaknesses and needs and and supplying her so wonderfully to fill those things. And I pray that I've been that kind of completion to her as well. Thank you for our children. Lord, the the amazing gifts that, that our sons are to us and our daughter. Lord, we're so grateful. We thank you for the way you do these things and you do all things well. Lord, your design is flawless. It's perfect. Lord, you've given us free will so we get to enjoy the way that you have made us to be married and build each other up and Lord, you created singleness for some, and we recognize that. And we pray that you would bless those who have decided that you've told them to be single. Lord, would you make them uh, successful in that endeavor for your kingdom and for your namesake and for their own personal glory, Lord, the things that uh, you want to do in them. God, you've made them different. But Lord, for your design, uh, we thank you for it. Thank you for completing us with the role of marriage. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.